All right, I am going to start by uh, reading through our passage for the text this morning. Uh, we are in Luke chapter 2, as was mentioned. We're getting ready to start a new series, uh, Encounters with Jesus. And I'll, I'm going to kind of introduce it today, but also kind of prep you for uh, this uh, series. Um, we're going to look at basically John chapters 1 through 6 and through the next eight weeks, uh, except for today we're looking at Luke chapter 2. Um, as an introduction, but basically what we want to do is as we walk through this, uh, the first six chapters of John, we're going to look at people's encounters with Jesus and, and how it changed their lives. Um, so today we're looking at Luke chapter 2. If you uh, have your copy of God's Word, if you want to open up to Luke chapter 2, we're going to read verses 41 through 51. And if you would, uh, stand with me as we read through this. Starting in Luke chapter 2 at verse 41. It says, Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was twelve years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions, and all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished, and his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in a great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you that your word is powerful, living, and active. We thank you that it is transformative. That as we look at your word, it transforms hearts. We thank you that your Holy Spirit is the one who moves in us to give us an understanding of who you are and what you desire from us. And so, Father, we come before you and we ask for your Holy Spirit to guide us in your truth this morning. We thank you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. I should probably start my timer. Don't want you to have to, on Father's Day, stay too late, right? This story has always fascinated me, and I think that there are some thoughts we want to look through on this text as uh, just kind of some things to acknowledge and some things to, to connect with, as, as I think it's very analogous to us. Um, I have found in ministry that there are so many things that we can be involved in. As a pastor, there are things that we can get caught up in, in programs and in policies and, and in projects left and right. And there are so many things that call for our attention. And, and even people uh, that have needs, these are important things. And these are things that you can get wrapped up in as an individual sitting in the seats this morning. And as a believer, you, you can get wrapped up in all kinds of things. Friends, family, all kinds of things. And if Mary and Joseph can lose Jesus, 
you better believe that you could lose him too. Now, I'm not talking about losing him as in uh, uh, internal salvation type thing, but we can look at this text and I think there are a number of things that we can see that we can get wrapped up in distractions and we can forget the one and the most important thing in all of our lives and that is Jesus. So I want to look at this text and there's a number of things I want us to see. Number one, as we look through the story, the first thing we see is a prize. A prize. Now his parents, his parents. Can you imagine their encounter with Jesus was that they were given the greatest prize known to humanity. Jesus. Yeshua. The Savior. It was a gratuitous prize, right? It was given to them free of cost. There was no, no uh, uh, expense on their part in regards to how they acquired him or how they, they received him. They did literally nothing to get Jesus, right? An angel appeared to Mary and said, guess what? You're with child and the child has come from the conception through the Holy Spirit and and you will have a son born to you that was uh, something that God did in you, through you, and will present you with Jesus. You shall call his name Jesus. I mean, this is a free prize. Can you imagine that? A gracious prize. Can you imagine all that had taken place up till now, right? Uh, you, you can read Luke chapter 1, the announcement of Jesus to Mary, and then later to Joseph, and then the, the birth taking place with the shepherds and the, the angels singing glory to God in the highest, all these things that says Mary treasured them up in her heart. Can you imagine the, the incredibleness of all of that, the developing relationship? I mean, we talk about a relationship with Jesus. Jesus literally, physically lived in their house. He's 12 years old by this time, so he had grown in their home. Can you imagine fathers and mothers, a perfect child in your home? Your first child, perfect. Can you imagine that? I, th- I thought it was interesting, by the way, uh, as I watched that video. I don't know what's going on in the Serene household, but apparently their kids fight a lot. Got news for you. It happens in the Schumacher household too. But not with Jesus, the firstborn. Can you imagine that as a parent? What a gracious prize. The privilege of having him in their own home, a perfect child, a parenting dream, and a growing prize. It says that he was now 12. So, so every year they had developed that relationship. Each year must have brought more and more reward. I mean, we talk about Jesus and we think about him as, as Jesus talks about uh, uh, the Father who is invisible to us. We can't physically necessarily see him, although there are, are moments where Jesus has appeared to people. What an incredible thing. Can you imagine this, this Islam having the opportunity to physically meet Jesus? What a prize that is. What an incredible thing. And here, Mary and Joseph had 12 years up to this point of getting to know Jesus. This is the most incredible prize anybody could have ever had. It's the picture of our salvation, is it not? Comes into our life unearned, undeserved, unpaid for, freely given. And our relationship with Him grows over time as does our understanding of who He is and what He desires in our life. What an incredible picture. 
This is such an incredible analogy to the walk of faith with Jesus Christ. And as we go on in the story, it says, And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, they were returning. The boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, and his parents did not know it. Problem. Problem. They lost the Savior of the world. I don't know about you, but I lose things all the time. It might have something to do with six concussions. It may not. I don't know. It doesn't matter. But I can't tell you how many times I'm looking for something, and then my wonderful wife always helps me by saying, well, have you prayed about it yet? And, of course, you know, as a pastor, that's the first thing I always do is when I lose something, I pray and ask God to help me find it. Then she asked the second greatest, most helpful question in the world, where did you last have it? If I knew that, it wouldn't be lost. But we come to this problem, and the problem, and we look at Mary and Joseph, and we say, how could you lose Jesus? I think of the times where I've left my child somewhere, I couldn't find him. Usually it's like no more than 15, 20 minutes. There was one time when Meredith was little, I was working on something, Steph worked third shift, so she was sleeping, and I always tried to watch uh, Meredith during the day, and, and uh, I had uh, been working on a project, I think out back in my backyard, and Meredith was inside playing because she's a good kid. She doesn't ever leave that room, that spot I put her in. Uh, in actuality, she went out the front door, out the garage, and I came back in to check on her. She was nowhere around. And I ran through the house, I ran upstairs, I ran uh, throughout the whole place. I, I ran out the front door about five times, and I ran up finally knowing I had to wake Steph up and fearing the dread that I was going to have when I told her that I had lost our child. Um, she, she gets up, and we're both in a panic, and we run out the front door, and our neighbor, such a sweet lady, came over and said, Hey, I noticed you've been running in and out, and you know, and Meredith is in the tennis court next door. I was like, Oh, thank you. That was panic, sheer and utter panic. And so we look at Mary and Joseph and say, how could you lose Jesus? And you lost him. And, and, and we sit here and we put all kinds of, uh, it's easy to look at somebody that's not us and say, man, you're an idiot. How did you do that? And the reality is we do this all the time. All the time. I think this story is so fascinating because it re reveals to us how in our own lives we can lose Jesus. Notice what the text says. It starts out that it says that, that um, they went up to Jerusalem every year at the feast of Passover, and they did this according to the custom. We lose Jesus, I think, when three things happen to our faith. Number one, it becomes customary. When our faith becomes about customs and traditions, and, and so you notice what it says, it says, according to the custom, religious works can be evidence of our faith, but they do not demonstrate a relationship with Jesus. Religious works, tithing and showing up on a Sunday and doing all the right things according to the nature of the law, according to the things that we are prescribed with in the Word, are not the things that define our relationship with Jesus. They never will. Over and over again, we read in Scripture things like in Matthew chapter 15, Jesus says to the people, and quoting from Isaiah, He says, These people here, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their hearts are far from me. 
In Luke chapter 10, Jesus tells, or, or is, is, is uh, entertained in a house with two ladies. And I'm sure many of us have heard the story about Mary and Martha. And Martha's running around like a chicken with her head cut off, trying to make sure that she does all the things to serve Jesus and to do all the things that are, are good things as a good host to do. And she finally comes to Jesus and said, Jesus, hey, would you tell my sister to get up and help me? And Jesus says, ah, Martha, Martha, you worry about all these things, but you have missed the most important thing, which your sister understands. And I will not take that from you, your relationship with me. See, when our faith, after we have encountered Jesus and we have been given the greatest prize on earth, it becomes a problem when our faith is about custom and tradition. Brothers and sisters, attendance at church is not enough. Tithing is not enough. Serving is not enough. You could go to the ends of the earth and serve, but if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, it's not enough. It's not what Jesus is calling us to. He's calling us to a relationship with Him. But not only was it a customary faith, you look what it says. It says, and when the feast was ended as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. Sometimes we have careless faith, don't we? That we walk along life and we get so distracted with everything that goes about uh, doing the things that we feel are important and we become careless in our faith in spending time with Him. Listen, I get it. There are struggles in life and there are things where we get discouraged about. But let me tell you something. There is nothing more important than spending time each day with the Lord. And when we don't, we become careless and we lose Jesus. Notice the carelessness here. It took them a full day to realize he wasn't with them. It took them a full day. How many times do I get up in the morning and I think, man, my life's so busy, i got things to do, and I begin to go through the day, and I can't tell you how many times I've gone and to lay my head down at the end of the day, the full day, and I realize I haven't spent any time with Jesus today. We do this, and the reality is we are called to have a relationship with Him. I wonder what it finally was that made them realize He wasn't there. Was it something somebody said? Was it them realizing that life was going really bad and they're like, wait a minute, where's Jesus? What was it? What is it in our life where we finally realize as we look around and everything that's going on, we say, wait a minute. Where's the most important person in my life? Careless. What was their faith like at that point? I mean, as we stop and think about this text and just put it in context, remember Jesus uh, you know, I, I often wonder what Mary and Joseph's understanding of who this Jesus was. I mean, it says that Mary treasured these things in her heart. I mean, they had to have an incredible understanding to some degree because, you know, the angels had prescribed it. Mary knew what had gone on in her own, con in the conception of this. I mean, she knew that she hadn't uh, been unfaithful. And so she knew it was a miraculous conception. And, and she knew that she had been visited. Her husband had been visited by an angel. They saw the, the shepherd. They saw God's protection. They've seen who knows what. We don't have all the, despite what you may read, there is no such thing as the teenage years of Jesus book. 
Um, but we don't know what's going on. And, and so what was their understanding and their faith in this? And, and, and as they uh, finally a day later realize he's gone, I mean, did they panic? Did they think, well, we lost the Savior of the world? Did they realize that God was, was in the flesh and he, you know, nothing was going to happen before his appointed time? There's so many things that, that, that impact that. So many things. And it comes from being careless. But not only is it a, a customary faith, a careless one, I love this word, it was a cheeky faith, right? Because we love to use the word cheeky for my British friends out there. It says his parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. They supposed. They presumed. We lose Jesus when we presume that what my plans are, are His plans. And we begin to move forward without Him because we think, you know what, I, I've got this great plan, I'm going to bring Jesus along with me and I'm going to do it. You, you can read in the Old Testament, uh, Numbers chapter 14, an encounter where the people of God came to the promised land and God said, now go in and, and you take the land. And they said, whoa, 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 we're not strong enough. And so Moses said, uh, he approached God and God talked to him and said, I'm not going with you then if you're not going to obey. And the people said, oh, no, no, we need to go then. And they went without God because God said, I'm not going to go with you if you're not going to obey me. And so they went and what happened was they were utterly destroyed because they went without God. We should be, we ought to be, as James talks about, don't go somewhere saying, I'm going to do this and this and this except the Lord will. So oftentimes in our faith, we, we presume upon the Lord and we think that He is going to do and bless what we are planning and not what He is planning. And so we do these things, and so we look at Mary and Joseph and we say, how foolish were they that they lost Jesus? But the reality is, I think in our personal walk, so oftentimes it becomes easy to do that in our own life. To walk a faith of custom. To walk a faith of carelessness. To walk a faith of presumption. And there's a price that's paid if you look at the text. A lost relationship or even a poor relationship with Jesus is always a costly one. Notice what it says. It says his parents did not know. They supposed him to be there. When they finally realized that he wasn't there, they had gone a day's journey. Then they began their search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple sitting among the teachers. Whenever we leave Jesus behind, whether it's in our personal walk, whether it's in our church, whether it's in our families, whatever it might be, it is always a costly one. Notice what it costs these guys. It costs them resources. Did, did you catch how long? You know, I said I lost Meredith for about 15 minutes. Five days. Five days they lost Jesus. They had went a day's journey out. They realized he wasn't there, so they traveled a day back, and then they searched for him for three days. Brothers and sisters, I can't function as a believer for five minutes without Jesus healthily. They were five days. And we look at that and we say, how embarrassing. But how often do we go without Jesus in our walk, in our relationship? 
What must that return trip have been like? Can you imagine that? You know, when, whenever you get into, a, if you're married and you get into a fight with your spouse and then you have to go somewhere, that's real comfortable. Can you imagine? Hey, you were supposed to keep an eye on Jesus. No, no, that was your job. You're the one who was immaculately conceived. Can you imagine that conversation? And then they didn't know where to look for him. It says that they spent three days looking for him. That's wasted time. How much resources do we waste when Jesus is not the center of our life and decisions? Poor decisions. When we move ahead, you know, I could tell you countless story after countless story where I made a financial decision that I didn't ask the Lord for guidance in and I paid for it, literally. I'm sure many of us have stories of cars that we have purchased that have been great financial decisions. And the question would be, did you pray about it before you purchased it? Poor decisions, bad relationships, consequences for sin. When you have to do something over, that's lost, that's costly. As a church, when we make decisions as leaders and we aren't considering the Lord when we're... This is why, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to harp on this every single week, this is why that 9.15 prayer time is so important, brothers and sisters. Because if we are not beseeching the Lord to be a part of our worship, if we are not beseeching the Lord in our elder times together, in our deacon times together, if we are not beseeching the Lord, we are making decisions without Him and it will be costly. Fathers, if you are not beseeching the Lord and spending time with Him in your personal life, your family will pay for it. We have an obligation, and by the way, it's not just a burden, it is a great joy and privilege that we have been given a prize, which is Jesus Christ. And we have to be beseeching Him because it will cost us resources. It will cost us reputation. Look at what it says. It says that when they found out he was gone, they had to go among their relatives and acquaintances. I can imagine how that goes. Hey, uh, you didn't happen to see Jesus around here, did you? Oh, you mean the one that you said was not conceived illegitimately, but is the Savior of the world? You lost him? We don't know what that was like. Maybe they were gracious, but how many times when we make decisions without Jesus, I think of when, you know, don't ever um, drive near me when I'm driving because it's usually not good for me to demonstrate godliness. Um, but if I get cut off, you know, I, I'm glad I've never done this, but I imagine one day I'm going to get upset and have some road rage and pull up at the church and the person's going to be uh, attending church that day. When we get angry and we don't consult Jesus and He's not a part of our relationship at that moment and we act without Him, how that impacts relationships. Relationships. And, and, and not only that, but the most important part of this is without Jesus, it affects our rest. Can you imagine the anxiety they had? 
If I lost my daughter for 15 minutes, I can't imagine losing what would be probably the heaviest responsibility that has been promised to me that this would be the Savior of the world. Can you imagine the anxiety and the searching frantically and for five days not being able to find him and the going around everywhere trying to ask people, hey, did you see this boy? Did you see him? Did you know where he is? Do you know? Can you imagine the anxiety that they must have had? Brothers and sisters, in our life, there are times where we are walking without Jesus and we are running around anxious and restless, not knowing what the future holds, not knowing what we're supposed to do. And there is one who knows the answer and he has told us, come to me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But we don't believe that, apparently, because we want to search frantically. And we have one who is so loving and so concerned for us. How much unneeded anxiety do we carry because we forget the one who cares the most? I want to give you a proposition with this because we look at this and we say, well, if this is representative potentially of my life and I can leave Jesus behind and we can lose Jesus, I want to give you a proposition. You will never have Jesus leave you. When he's lost, it's not because of him. It's never because of him. Jesus never leaves us nor forsakes us. What can man do to me? The Lord is my helper in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. We read, he will never leave us nor forsake us. He is always there no matter what the problems are in life, whether it's, it's uh, financial problems, whether it's relational problems, whether it's parenting problems, whether it's uh, a neighbor problem, whatever it is, Jesus has never left us. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. And so the proposition is this, only you can leave him behind. It is your responsibility to reach out to have that relationship. He's offering freely i find it interesting that as they finally find jesus he asks them a rhetorical question why were you looking for me and i find it interesting the the blame game that that mary says hey mary or jesus why would you do this to us we are the ones who've been entrusted to you why would you do this to us and jesus says why were you looking for me i've been here all along I'm where I've always been, in my Father's house, doing my Father's work. Brothers and sisters, if we lose Him, He's always there. He's always there. Why are you looking in all the wrong places? Did you not know that I must be in my Father's house? And of course, they didn't understand. And I think that's very revealing, too that they did not understand. And so oftentimes in our life, when we can't find Jesus involved in our life and we go to Him and we say, God, why don't you care? Why aren't you here when I need you? Where are you? And the reality is He's right there. He's just saying, come to me. Come to me. And when we say we don't know where He is, it's very heart-revealing about our relationship with Him because He has never left us nor forsaken us. And I want to close with a couple of thoughts for you this morning. And the first is probably the most important, and it's this aspect. You can't lose Jesus if you've never met Him. 
The most important part of this story is that they had been given a gift and we have been given a gift. But if we don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you are here this morning and you have never given yourself to a relationship with the one who has come to us, Emmanuel, God with us, to dwell among mankind, to live for and with mankind, and then to die on a cross to take all of our sins and all of our mistakes and all of the things that we deserve, he has taken on our behalf and he has died and he was was buried and he rose from the dead and he says now I offer you my righteousness in your place and he says come to me and have that relationship with me that's why we celebrate communion like we did last week because we celebrate his death his burial and his resurrection because we rejoice that he has done that for us and provided us an opportunity to have a relationship in the old testament the relationship was this One person, once a year, was able to walk into the Holy of Holies where God dwelt. And hopefully they lived through that. And when they came back out, it was another year. And then Jesus came to earth and he says, I am dwelling among you. My tabernacle, my place is now in the heart of man. My kingdom is here. And I welcome you to be a part of that. And I would encourage you, if that is not your relationship with Jesus... Today is the day. Today is the day. And before we get too critical of Joseph and Mary for losing Jesus, we ought to consider what we've left behind. How often is our response the same as Mary and Joseph to blame God, where were you, when he's right there? Our faith ought to be, our church ought to be, Our personal lives ought to be about one thing. A deepening personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's why we say, but we see Jesus, what an incredible thing. In Hebrews chapter 2, it says that Moses was this great example of an Old Testament redeemer. And he did all these incredible things. But then the transition from the writer of Hebrews, he says, this is Moses, but one greater than Moses is here. Guess what? We see Jesus. Because all those things were a picture of Jesus. Later on at the end of that book of Hebrews in chapter 12, verse 2, it says, you're struggling with your walk of faith? We have a cloud of witnesses that is watching us to encourage us, not watching us with skepticism, but they're cheering us on. The picture in the original language is that of a stadium with people clapping us on running the race, and it says, and when we have those sins that easily tangle us up and beset us, they trip us up and they cause us, let us cast those aside. And how do we do that? Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, uh, endured the cross, scorning its shame, for the joy that was set before him, that he might sit at the seat of the throne of majesty. That's who we're to look to. That's the relationship. When I was in school in Minnesota, very dark, cold, horrible place, the Lord gave me a, a rhema while I was up there from Matthew chapter 17. It's the story of, of Peter, James, and John going up on the Mount of Transfiguration. And they went up there with Jesus, and Jesus was transfigured before their eyes. And and they saw uh, Moses and Elijah, and Peter says, hey, let's build a shelter. Let's make this permanent. Let's be here forever, because this is great. 
And that's what our relationship with Jesus is like, right? When we have a deep, intimate relationship with Jesus, it is incredible. It's the greatest thing in the world. And then this voice speaks out, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased, obey him. And then it all kind of goes away. And it says that at the voice of God from heaven, that Peter and James and John fell to the ground in fear. In Matthew chapter 17, verse 8, it says that when they looked up, they saw none but Jesus. Brothers and sisters, we idolize people all day long. Pastors who speak well. Professional people. As ministers of the gospel, it is our responsibility that when people see us, they see none but Jesus. And that only happens when we are conformed into His image because we have a deep and abiding relationship with Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You. We thank You that You sent Your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank You that though we deserve death and eternal damnation because of our filthy righteousness, that Jesus died and paid a penalty on our behalf and now offers for all who would believe the gift of His righteousness. Father, we praise You because You are worthy of all praise and You alone are worthy. And Father, I pray that our hearts would be deepened into a relationship with You because You are worthy of all honor and glory and praise. And You love us so much that You have said that there is nothing that will ever separate us from the love of God. And Father, I pray for anyone here today that is burdened with anxiousness, with sorrows, that is feeling overwhelmed at the financial and the cost of wasted resources because they did not make wise decisions. Father, I pray that they would turn and find the one who loves them deeper than anyone could ever love. That they would find hope and restoration in you. Father, I pray that our hearts would be to leave from here to spend time in your word so that we can know who you are, so that we can love you even more because you alone are the one who is worth knowing. We thank you, Father. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.